following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We are going to be continuing our study of Isaiah 9 in particular. It's just really a couple of verses in there. But we've talked through the four names uh, before us, the names that um, Isaiah gives to the coming child, who really ultimately we learn is Jesus. And we've talked through that. We've talked about how God is a wonderful counselor and how God is a mighty God. And this morning, we're going to talk about how God is an everlasting father, an everlasting father. Some of the things that I'm going to tell you this morning uh, about God as your everlasting father, when I heard some of them in seminary, and I went and told a loved one what I had heard about the claim of God being our everlasting father and some of the implications for that for us, I told a loved one who's been a Christian their whole life, and I explained that reality. And the person said, nah, can that be right? And this morning, as I tell you some of the realities of having God as your everlasting father, I think it will, you will feel, nah, that's overstating it, isn't it? Really? That's how good this news is. I don't always love to preach, but when I do, I prefer it is text like this. If you've ever wanted to hear something unbelievable about Christianity, this text is for you. Now, I know for some of you, thinking of God as a father does not help your faith. And I'm sorry that you've had to bear that burden. It's not a good association. You see, our fathers shape us in, our pre- in their presence and also in their absence. So having a father figure in your life may not be comforting. But I want you to imagine as we talk through this that it is the father figure you've always wanted. The father figure you've always wanted. To steal a line from an old favorite movie of mine. Okay, now take that and multiply it by infinity and take it to the depths of eternity and you'll still have barely a glimpse of what I'm talking about. Let's pray. Fall on us, Holy Spirit. We ask for your comfort. We ask to be able to lift our heads 
and joy. Would you let us believe the unbelievable this morning? For those who have never believed God, would you welcome them home? Father, for those of us who have wandered off, we ask that you would cause them to celebrate in your goodness and grace. We need good news this time of year. And we ask that you would bring it powerfully by your Holy Spirit. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Several years ago, I got a flyer in the mail, and the flyer had a key attached to it. Have you ever gotten one of those? It had a key attached to it, and it said, This particular flyer, you may have already won a Jeep Wrangler. You may have already won a Jeep Wrangler. And then if you'll just scratch off this little thing with a coin, you'll see which prize it is that you won. And so I scratch off the little thing. Instead of throwing it into the trash, I scratch off the little thing and it says, you have already won a Jeep or $20,000. Set an appointment here to come claim your prize. I took it to Aaron and I was like, I've already won. I have already won a Jeep or $20,000. It's going to be one of those two things. I've already won. And she looked at me and goes, for real? I'm like, no, I really think I did. So I set the appointment and I call. And the day before, I start to get so sheepish and I realize there is no way they're going to give me a car. There is no way they're going to give me $20,000. And so I called in and awkwardly canceled my appointment to get my free car. Because sometimes when you get news, particularly when it's lavish news, when it's big news, if you're like me, you go, come on. This can't be real. This is a gimmick. This is to get our attention. This is to get us to go in there, and then they're really going to lay it on us, what they really want of us. And friends, when we study a portion of the gospel like this, there's, a, there's an element in your heart, and there's an element in my heart where I go, come on. No way. It can't be true because the news is too good. And that's what we we're going to talk about this morning. It can't be true because the news is too good. As an everlasting father, we can take comfort in our father's joy, protection, and provision. Our father's joy, protection, and provision. First, let's look at taking comfort in our father's joy. When it describes to us that he will not just be a wonderful counselor, he will not just be a mighty God. Those are, those are things that almost sound warlike, meaning he's this great general strategician. Strateg- oh boy. Strategery, that's what it is. No, <clears throat> that he has this great strategy. And not only that, he's this mighty God who can accomplish whatever he wants. Titles kind of put him high and far off and above us. And then he knows that we'd be tentative to believe that God could actually be near. And so what he says next is that he will come as your everlasting father. It's a title of closeness and intimacy. It's a title of tenderness. It's a title that says, I delight in my children. I I want to be with my children. I will do whatever it takes for my children. And if you're like me, it's hard to believe that. 
You've been through enough difficult things, enough difficult moments, that if you were to think of God, think of Him as like this, maybe this generous, distant CEO who sometimes works to make your life better. And the Bible refuses to be in that category, and He says, He is your everlasting Father. He's close. He's near. And the reason that I want you to experience that comfort, that that reality is because everything in this world will try and convince you otherwise. It'll try and convince you that he's way far off. And he's not very happy he just sat And the reality of the gospel is that he is delighted. Now, if you were really honest this morning and I said, does God love you? You'd go, God likes you? Maybe a little slower than you think. What if I ask you, does God do Does God do you well and good? And the outlandish claims of the gospel is that God gets a kick out of you. God smiles about you. And over and over in Scripture, it makes that and yet we've treated God as if He's distant or if He's angry with us. This past Thursday, I was in the Nativity at Lookout Mountain Crest's Mother's Day Out program. So me and two little kids were the shepherds, and we walk up, wandering, looking for baby Jesus, and we walk up, and we finally find baby Jesus, and we turn and we sit, and I realize that I can see my twin sons from where I'm being a shepherd, and they're looking at me going, die, 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 hat, hat. And you know how when you go to a pageant or whatever, and the kids are on stage, and they're not supposed to do this, but they find their parents, and they're like, your 37-year-old pastor, who was dressed up as a shepherd, saw his sons, and I was like, being a total distraction to the nativity because I was just delighted to see them. To see their faces, to see them interested, to see them paying attention, to see them seeing me, I was delighted. I just couldn't get enough of it. It's that instinct as a father that when you see your kids and you're so proud of them, that, that just them being them makes you smile. My daughter Carson, over this past year, she played soccer, and this is when she came into her own. She had one game where she scored eight goals in a soccer game. And I would just walk up and down and cheer like it was the first one every time. And I would walk over to the other dads and I would talk trash. And I would say, how many goals does your kid have? Because my daughter has eight. One time I told one of the dads that if he wanted to get out there and try and stop Carson, he was welcome to do so. Because my pride and my joy in watching her just... It is easy for me to delight in my children, whether I'm seeing them in the audience watch me dressed as a shepherd, or whether I'm watching my daughter score eight goals. I delight in them. In this particular busy, stressful season of life, as I drive home, of course I'm excited to see you. Aaron, and of course I'm excited to see the big three, but one of the thoughts that goes through my mind as I'm driving, driving home is I'm going to get to see those guys. I'm going to tickle them. I'm going to laugh. 
friends, the Bible tells you that that's how God feels about you in Christ. That He delights in you. That He gets a kick out of you. And I know that's hard to believe. I know that our own sin and our own shame and our own suffering would cause us to believe that what God does is tolerate us. And what He says in the Gospel is that I'm their everlasting Father. I love you. Verses to encourage you. Luke 11, 11 through 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give you a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? What the gospel says transactionally is that God takes Jesus and He doesn't demote you, demote Jesus down to our level. He promotes us up to Jesus' level. He promotes us up to Jesus' level. But the Father loves us and He wants His Son to go and make us sons and daughters. And He does that because of love. He gives His Son's life now look, I love you very much. And I would easily give my life for yours. And I'd do it gladly. But if I have to choose between giving one of my five children away for your life, you, my friends, make no mistake of choice. As highly as some of you think of me, how much more should you think of God who would give His Son for his enemies, to make them his children. This is from Zephaniah 3.17. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemies. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Listen to these. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. And love no longer rebuke you. He will rejoice over you with you. Friends, the reality of the gospel is not that God is powerful and kind but far off. That He is powerful and brilliant and kind and close by. He wants you to presume upon His fondness of you. He wants you to know that you're spoiled, that you're loved, that you're delighted in. What would our lives be like if we actually believed that? That you walked around saying, whatever it is that I'm struggling with, whatever it is that I'm bearing, it's okay because I'm a spoiled brat of God the Father. He digs me. He gets kicked out of me. The Bible says He delights over me with singing. It's this image of a dad who just is so full of joy that he's singing over his child. Is that how you think of God? Is that how you think God thinks of you? Sinclair Ferguson says this, he's one of the greatest theologians of our time, and he says, Christ is giving us access to the presence of the Father and saying to us, you may now speak to Him as I speak to Him. With the same right of action, the same sense of intimacy. 
with the same assurance that he loves you. He does. I can talk to Jesus with the same confidence. Excuse me. I can talk to the Father with the same confidence that Jesus can talk to him with. The same intimacy. The same assurance. almost too good to be true. But he doesn't demote Jesus. It's not like he loves us so much that he demotes Jesus. It's actually grander than that. It's that he takes us and makes us his sons and daughters and gives us the same rights and intimacy and assurance that Jesus has. What if you believe that the Father was fond of you? That he listened to you? That he got a knows how to give good gifts. He sends His only Son for us. We can take comfort in His Father's glory. Not only does that give you assurance and comfort, I want it to fuel your fight against sin. I want it to fuel your fight against sin. When you're tempted, just like when I'm tempted, and something sounds so good, and you battle with it in your head, and you say, I'm not sure, I... I know it won't make me happy, but it it will for a little bit. It's as if we're saying we need to cling to whatever good we can get our hands on while we can get our hands on it, because we don't know what's coming around the corner for us. Can you imagine that when you were tempted, you could say, you could actually believe God cannot wait to hear your good. He cannot stop himself from His everlasting Father, fondness. He is constantly pursuing me. He is constantly regathering me up. I really want to go anywhere else. What else could any of this offer for me when I am a beloved son or daughter of God? Let it comfort you, but let it fuel your fight against sin. The joy that the Father takes in you will change your life. It's audacious. I know to believe, for me to ask you to believe that, but I'm asking you to believe that. What if I'm right? What if the Bible is true? And God has actually found So I want you to take comfort in the joy, but I also want you to take comfort in our Father's protection. Father's protection. You see, dads aren't just good at delighting in their children. Dads. sort of excited and ready the whole nine months knowing this child and loving and feeling the shape. It's kind of surreal for a dad. And then they hand you this football-shaped thing and lay it in your arms and you think, I have not known 
people have been as dialed in as my wife has, that when they put that little thing in your arm and say, congratulations, Dad, you look down at this thing and say, I will destroy anything that means you the least bit of harm. You will never know difficulty. Anything that's hard for you, I'll take on this part. I will help you. And that's the sense that God is our Father as He protects us in a different place, in a different time. One of my children had a coach that was very hard on her. Just abrupt and ugly, too loud a voice. This man was considerably stronger and fitter and taller than me. But one time I watched it happen. Him be abrupt and ugly with my son. I walked up to this mountain of a man and I felt my finger in his face and I said, you leave my kid alone. And if I'm trying to tell you he didn't know. I was going to take care of his son. And that's the philosophy of the gospel is that he says, I will protect you. Not just I will delight in you, I will protect you. This is from Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Stay here and pray. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. Watch his words. This is Jesus begging the Father to find another way to stop this. To not forsake his son. To not put the cup of wrath onto his son. And Jesus knows it and he feels it and his soul is troubled to the point of death. And he says, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? And he asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were so heavy. So he left them and he went once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, I'm still sleeping and resting. Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my Father. The Father sees His one and only Son with these disciples who can't even keep their eyes open, and He's looking at His one and only Son, and His Son is essentially saying, Dad, any other way, any other way, Dad, you've got to let, you've got to do something else. You've got to let this pass for me. You can't do this, Dad. But not my will, but your be done, Dad. And the Father says no to His Son in the garden so that He can say yes to you in the same. He says, I love them so much that I'm going to lay down my Son and I'm going to promote them to the level in which I love my Son. Takes his son to give you a seat at the table. He protects you. He 
says no to his son in the garden is so that he can say yes to you at his coming. It's a very fun old action movie to take, I think Battleground 4, but Liam Neeson to take that. Basically, his daughter goes on a trip that she wished she wouldn't go on to, to London, and she gets kidnapped. And just before she's kidnapped, he's talking her through what she needs to do. And he says, I will save you. I will come for you. And it goes to this awesome action movie of Liam Neeson just tearing apart Europe, looking for his daughter, and hurting anyone that would stand in his way. And ultimately, he makes it to the last scene of the movie. If you haven't seen the movie yet, watch it now. Um, he makes it to the last scene of the movie, and he finally kills the big bad guy who's holding on to his daughter. And his daughter looks up and sees that it's him, and she's actually shocked. And she says, you came for me. You came for me. Do you remember what he tells her? He says, I told you that. In the gospel, we have God saying, I'm coming for you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to put down anything that stands between us. He says, I told you I would come. And friends, you have this protection. It may not come in the form you expect it to, but He is protecting you from your sin, from His own wrath, from the devil. If you want to be encouraged and reminded that God knows the difference between who His enemies are and who His children are. 1 John 3.8 is one of the great passages in the Bible. It says, The reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the work of the devil. In Christ, you're not His enemy. In Christ, you're the object of His affection, of His He's this dad that comes after you and will not stop. And he says, I told you I would come. Is that how you feel? Friends, you are protected in Christ. And you never have to be afraid again, ultimately, because you're protected in Christ. He's that dad who will not stop until you're safe in his that we can experience the Father's joy for us, the, the Father's protection of us, and lastly, take comfort in our Father's provision for us. John 3.16, many of you know this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. When God saw that we had a problem, instead of shaming us or tolerating us, or abandoning us, for God so loved the world He gave. The reason I really want you to let that sink in is because somehow we lose that. It's the verse that most people know, and yet somehow we lose it. We don't think, for God so loved the world He gave. We think, for God so tolerates the world. For God so puts up with the world. And you lose something. You lose something not realizing for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. In John 17, there's this high priestly prayer. What that means is that Jesus is His longest prayer recorded in the Bible. And He's praying for His disciples and He's praying for you and for me. 
ultimately. And there was a time in seminary when the teacher was teaching on this. And he said, what happens in the gospel is that you get promoted to the level of Yes, he likes us. Yes, he loves us in like a general fond sense. But promoted to the level of Jesus, I get intimacy with the Father like Jesus has. I get affection with the Father like Jesus has. Come on. And then he showed us this verse. It's John 17, 22, and 23. It's Jesus talking to the Father. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that you may be one as you are. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. You say that before you again. 23. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Except the word there, it doesn't do it justice, even as. It's not like they love you even kind of like you love me. And the professor lingers there and he stops and he says, from the Greek lexicon of the New Testament, what this is saying is in accordance with the degree as is specified by the context, to the degree just as. Now I know that's a lot of words, but this is what it sounds like when you use the Greek and you use the actual lexical context. This is this. May they be brought unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them to the same degree as you have loved me. That's too good. I can't believe it. But friends, that's exactly what the gospel is. Because Jesus is before his Father and saying, I want them to get it. I want them to get it. That they've been promoted so much that they're actually now to the degree of love that the Father has for me, that's what they're in. Just as you love me. Richard Lovelace says this, Christians should always assume they start each day at the top of the ladder in contact with God and renew this assumption whenever they have appeared to slip away. Did you hear that? Christians should always assume that they start each day at the top of the ladder in contact with God and renew this assumption whenever they appear to have a slip. Friends, what he's saying in John and what Richard Lovelace is saying is that you're more loved and more protected and more provided for than you know. The problem isn't that there's not enough love. There's not a, the problem isn't that there's not a lot, enough protection. The problem is, is it that there's not enough provision. The problem is, is we don't believe it. We do not audaciously believe that God is fond of us, that He gets a kick out of us. But that's what the gospel says, is that He's a dad who delights in you. He sings over you. And in Christ, He protects you and He provides for you. The professor quoted one other guy who said, Edward Fisher, listen to this. God the Father cheers the hearts of poor sinners 
and greatly delights them with singular comfort and heavenly sweetness. Assuring them that whoever so is married unto Christ is so in him by faith, and he is as acceptable to God the Father as Christ himself. And so shall the love and favor of God be as deeply insinuated in you as it is into Christ too much of our sin and too little of God's salvation. Romans 8 says it this way, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know what it says next? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him the son, graciously give all things? Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It's God who justifies. What it's saying is that God is so on your team and so for you that Paul's argument here is, is that if God would go as far as to give you His own Son, what else would be the same thing? The gospel is really that outlandish. It's really that good. A couple of Christmases ago, Aaron was shopping for the house for Christmas, just picking up some things. And the website that she was on, she started to realize as she was scrolling down that one of the cool-looking couch pillows was on sale for zero dollars and zero cents. Zero dollars and zero cents. And she's like, "Ooh, somebody's going to get fired." Pillows, keep them coming every day. My wife sees it on the online for zero dollars and zero cents, and she orders four pillows. Here I am thinking we should go buck wild with pillows. And she said, I didn't even really think it was going to happen. And she was good again. The reason that I tell you that story is I think some of you think transactionally with God, that you can't really believe this deep, you can't really trust this much, I'm not sure it's actually true. Friends, because He's our everlasting Father and He gets a kick out of us and He loves us, because He protects us in His Son Jesus, because He provides for us in His Son Jesus, know that when God thinks your name, Provided for us 